Izzy and Joey, Joey and Izzy. At the same time, how's your day going so far? Great. Amazing. Okay, that was pretty in sync with one another. <laughs> I was going to say amazing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, amazing is different levels of worth to the whole thing. But uh, <laughs> Izzy, congratulations on joining the cast season seven. Uh, how much prep was needed before you started filming for this role? Well, I feel like it's obviously a hugely popular show. It's been around for so long. It felt like there was a lot of pressure. So I wanted to be over-prepared. So, you know, going back and watching old seasons to really immerse yourself in the world and get to know the characters. And I feel like Outlander has a very specific feel to it and tone. And I think it's important to try and be able to recreate that. And then also bought the books and read those because I think, you know, mm -hmm. even though they're not identical, the series and the books, there's still so much extra context and nuance to be picked out from that. Mm. Well said. Before I ask you the same question, Joey, the question I have is, does anyone get to call you Joe or Joseph or is it you're Joey to everybody? So, well, originally, my mom really didn't want me to be called Joey. She said it sounds like a budgie. And so um, that was like off the table. And so my sister... Budgie's being... so specific. I know, I know. <laughs> like, <it's> so offensive. <laughs> um, my sister being four obviously heard this and thought it was like the funniest thing ever to start calling me Joey. And then I just became Joey. So I think to... But weirdly now, my sister calls me Joseph. So I think... So my friends will call me Joe, like short for Joey. Mm. Never just like Joe. It seems like very different names. It would be weird, wouldn't it? Be, yeah. yeah. Sometimes so, people say very Yes, well. Joseph and I'm naughty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then me. you could do the young adult into acting thing where in 10 years you're, you go, I'm Joseph. You cannot call me Joey. Then 10 yes. to 15 years after that, you become Joey again for vintage purposes. <laughs> exactly. I can do that with Isabel as well. Yeah, Izzy and Joey, Isabel and Joseph. And Joseph. And we'll, Very yeah, be ready for, our, ready for our serious rebrand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the uh, original question before I took you off course, Joey, Joe, Joseph, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> a lot of, was a lot of prep needed for this role between reading the books or character development? Yeah, definitely. I mean, just to research that part of American history as well was really interesting to to really immerse yourself in that time period and mm -hmm. the politics of that time and to learn about the Quaker faith as well. I wasn't that, you know, read up on, on, on Quakers, but when I started to research them, I thought they were amazing, like yeah. so ahead of their time, you know, really fought for equality always saw men and women as equal and yeah i just really like their ethos just wanting to do good in the world and yeah i think so that was that was really helpful to help sort of form the character of denzel and mm. because um, he's such a kind good person you you see where he's got that from from his beliefs in the quaker faith and everything mm -hmm. um and then also the medical stuff as well was so fun to, to learn from because I mean Katrina now has so much knowledge from all the years of her doing all the medical stuff on the show but we also she have the sling in like seconds yeah crazy just, I, like, I, trust, I trust her to work on me like in real life definitely um but we also have an amazing woman called Dr Claire on set and she talks us through all the all the medical jargon and and how to use your hands and how to look like you know what you're doing so it's all it's all thanks to Dr Claire not me <laughs> Well, before I let you two go, I'm curious, Izzy, with a lot of shows, you don't find, up, find out that they're picked up for another season until 
after it's premiered. Mm-hmm. The ratings are fantastic. In the case of Outlander, we found out about season eight before season seven even premiered. Mm-hmm. When did you find out personally that season eight was happening? We were, there were lots of rumors flying around on set. Like lots of the crew were discussing it. And then that's how we kind of found out. And then we were all kind of whispering, like, do you know what's happening? And then we'd ask Sam and Katrina, like, do you know what's happening? And they'd be like, they were very cagey about it. And then announced. I can't remember. Maybe we got an email. I think it was like word of mouth. They knew everyone knew and then they had to address it. It was like like the worst kept secret ever. But it wasn't like a, Congrats, we have it. It was like a okay, so you all know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We all know that you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's <laughs> well, glad to hear that for the sake of the show, and congrats to you on a wonderful season. And looking forward to calling you by your full names on the next junket because we'll have elevated the levels of our relationships. Absolutely. <laughs> David, John, and Charles. John, Charles, David. I don't know what order to say it in, but we'll first throw it to David and go. How are you today? And then we'll say, how much of your character is there in you and the human being? How much of my character is what, sir? Is there in you the human being? Well, what I was really excited to play this season was um, being a dad. Um, that's something that I have, uh, that I spend a lot of time in my, my real life, being a dad and something that's really important to me. And to be able to bring that to this season of the show, playing uh, dad to uh, to uh, Charles's character was something I was really excited to play. And the um, the dynamics that, that kind of um, flesh out in, in the drama of this season. Um, I, and especially telling you off and telling you what to do. I, I carried that on to set, telling Charles everything. Um, you know, how to stand, how to drink your coffee right, and you know, how to... I don't really think you need any... You can, you can tell you were enjoying I could basically... I, I took a bit of an advantage of that. <laughs> and I'm a better dad he's a great dad. Well, that was going to be my follow-up question. Is he a great dad? Well, expanding on that a little bit, was there a chemistry read or anything like that when you were cast to see if you could gel as a paternal kind of situation? No, no chemistry read or anything like that. But I mean, we're, bo- we're both, you know, raised in Canada. So, you know, we got a lot to relate to. Charismatic guys. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was actually great. And I did, I did feel the fatherly warmth from him, you know, even in the beginning scenes when we didn't really know each other that well. And I, you know what? The, these two also really... They're really lovely when I went to Scotland because I didn't know anybody in Scotland and they really made sure to, uh, you know, take me out and, and make me feel comfortable there. Because I'm sure it's our home in time. Well, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to get you out as much as possible. <laughs> hey, you succeeded yeah. sometimes. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> Twice in one year. <laughs> John, sitting in the middle in between fatherly warmth, is it comfortable today or is that pretty uncomfortable? Yeah, it's a little clammy, it's actually. A bit sweaty. Yeah. yeah, I don't like a daddy much more. <laughs> <laughs> John, that original question that I'd asked David, how much of you is there in the character and vice versa? Oh, gosh, I mean, yes, of course, there's parts of you and all your characters you play, and I've been playing him for so long that um, he's always going to be here with me. I'm going to carry with him forever. He's a character that, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve, and, and I like to think, you know, so do I. So, um, yeah, so some similarities, but Young Ian's also escape for me. Like, I do get to really um, just go into to his mind, and, and it's, it, it, he's very, I, can, I see he's quite similar, but there is a lot of differences to her. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's a bit of both. <laughs> Got it. Well, us privileged media folks getting to speak to 
established, wonderful folks like yourselves, we're finding out, hey, there's going to be a season eight. When did you actually find out that season eight was happening? Was it that they sat you down on the set and went, by the way, got some news? Or did you find out in the trades like we did? <laughs> um, I don't remember how I found out. No, I mean, um, I think Matt and Mario gave me a call yeah. to let me know um, uh, with the news that, of course, it would also be the last one. Um, but uh, on that call, it was it was it was a little lovely to hear that we were getting to to do one more um, and and finish it correct. Okay. David, uh, same question at you. Did you find out through the trades, or did you get the call, or did John just get the special call and you resent him now? <laughs> John's always the special one. He gets always the special treatment. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, maybe I heard from John. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe I think <laughs> should be telling you this, Bob. <laughs> and, and then my last question for all three of you has nothing to do with Outlander Season 7 being fantastic and keep the eye out for Season 8. It's what's the last concert that you went to? That says a lot about a person. I anyone, just... anyone remember offhand quickly? I was just at Beyonce in Edinburgh, nice. so yeah, that was um, life um, achievement there. I don't think I've been to a concert since COVID, but the one before that was was Bonnie Vera, which was so fantastic. It was amazing. I think the last concert I was at. Like, you are like, what does someone say? That you're the, the human equivalent of, of Bonnie Vera. Yeah, so like the best compliment I've ever received. I was on such a high for the whole yeah, day. Some fan told me that. I was like, yes. <laughs> I think that's a compliment. That means well dressed. I'm going to take it as a compliment, no matter what. Folksy. Folksy, yeah. In the woods. Cool. Cool. Soft boy. <laughs> David, any recollection as to what you're yeah, I'm pretty sure the last concert I was at was a Wiggles concert. I was getting down to like wheels on the bus and... Uh... That, those are three good answers. Yeah, sure. yeah. Um, what was the other? The Shaky Shake? I don't know. I can't remember their songs. I was really... The Singing Cattle, maybe, was it? They were all bangers. The wingers, the, the Wiggles have some real real bangers. Um, very popular with the young crowd. Um, How are you? I'm pretty young. I'm a bit out of it right now. Are you just saying the Wiggles to play into that initial dad comment that being a father and here you are still parenting Charles as part of the interview? Yeah, I'm, I'm always parenting someone. Uh, yeah, Charles, definitely. Um, Dad! <laughs> I like to, dad mode. I'm very method about my uh, my uh, being a dad. Um, but look, no, Charles really stepped in the show with a lot of confidence and he really knew what he was doing. Um, and there really wasn't, other than like, you know, fixing your, your uniform here and there. And, uh, yeah. Actually, I spent a lot of time just trying to throw them off, honestly. Yeah. Trying to drag me to the Wiggles concerts all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you want to go? <laughs> didn't I, want to I don't know what to say beyond thank you all for your time. You're looking forward to you. season eight as well. All right. Brilliant. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. AJ, Gabrielle, a pleasure to be speaking with both of you. And I'll first throw it to Gabrielle. How are you? And are you Gabrielle to everybody? Are you Gabby to some people? How does that work? Hey, listen, we're friends. So you could call me Gabby, but uh, I'm doing well. You know, Gremlin's Secrets of the Mogwai is out now. So uh, I'm enjoying the episodes and kids are really enjoying it. So uh, life is good. Well, I'm going to dig into some of your credits in a little bit, but th same question at AJ. Are you AJ to everybody? Was it a Screen Actors Guild thing that made you AJ in the first place? <laughs> No, uh, my dad called me AJ because I, uh, he's Anthony as well, and I'm Anthony Jr. So it was just easier to make it a, a AJ. So yeah, no, not a not a SAG thing. 
There's impressive, not a lot of Locasios. <laughs> impressive explanation right there, AJ, but impressive vocal booth that you have with the soundproof foaming going. You don't do that <laughs> every you. day. Like Maurice LaMarche, when I was speaking with him, he didn't have that set up. So kudos to you. But <laughs> thanks. I'm curious to see if Gabrielle, Gabby, is going to give me the same answer that you are. AJ, had you worked with Gabby before? And I asked that because going through all of your credits, I don't see any projects where you two overlapped. No, we're this is this is our first project together. Now, yeah, yeah. Gabby, it, is that the same answer? It's like, are you kidding me? You don't remember that audition <laughs> we were on together? No, I mean, what's also interesting about voiceover is that we recorded during COVID for the most part, so we didn't really have a chance to be in the booth together. So yeah, this is our first project and really probably like our fifth time hanging out and, and getting yeah, to converse with each other. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the beauty of voiceover is that sometimes you don't even get to meet the people that you work with years after you record the project. Now, Gabby, we one don't of have the projects. Sorry, oh, sorry. No, no, that, that, that is, it's totally an interesting <laughs> thing as an interviewer to see when you get paired up as to whether or not the people have spent weeks and weeks and weeks together, or this is their first time meeting and they're going, by the way, I liked your work. And if they've even seen the project they've worked on, that's a Zoom reality right there. Yeah, that's something that a lot of, there's people I know who are on big hit shows and I'm like, oh, I love the episode. And they're like, I've never watched it. But uh, we're definitely watching this show. And it's funny, yeah, no, Gabby and I only, sorry, I didn't mean to steamroll your question. I no. saw, we, in passing, I saw her walk by pre-pandemic uh, where I was just like, oh, that's out. okay, cool, bye. Um, but we weren't introduced. I think you literally just walked through the room, so. Yeah, that was probably it. I think that was it, yeah. <laughs> well, Gabby, going through your credits here, you have been on dozens of episodes of That Girl, Lele, and being an old man at this point, uh, I didn't know how huge that girl was. Uh, that girl Lele was until I recently looked at how many Instagram followers you and the rest of the cast had, and what a tremendous show that that is. So when you have the bio out, the handlers go, "You're going to be speaking with Gabby. This is where you should know her from." I think that they're going to have to put Gremlins first, then that girl Lele. <laughs> Am I correct about that? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, th that would be a huge blessing if, you know, Gremlins keeps rolling the way that it is. And um, yeah, just talking about that girl, Lele, that, that has been such an amazing um, journey for me. And hopefully Gremlins continues to have the same type of lifespan. We get, you know, hopefully season two, season three, season four. I would be down to do it. Hopefully, AJ, you'd be down to yes. do it too. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I hope kids really enjoy our project as much as we do. Um, the response has been really positive, so I hope that continues. Now, I'm going to throw the same question at AJ in a second there, but Gabby, how much of the Gremlins history and world were you familiar with before landing this great role? You know what? It's funny because pre-pandemic, my family used to do like this Friday night movie type thing where we would either go to the movies or my dad would find a really old vintage movie and we would watch it home. So Gremlins was one of the films that we ended up watching. And then a couple of weeks later, I just by chance happened to have the audition for this project. So I I knew of the first film. I had watched it a couple weeks before the audition, but that was really my extent of it. I wasn't alive when the original film came out. Um, I just had my 18th birthday. Yeah. But yeah, definitely knew about Gizmo and all the shenanigans shenanigans is a good word right there. Uh, AJ, you have the coveted role of Gizmo in this and diehards know that Howie Mandel originated or at least helped make that role famous. 
And your credits are very interesting in that you've done a lot of roles that somebody initiated and you've been able to take it over. And I don't just mean Frank Drebin from the video game. And I don't just mean Marty McFly and all that. (laughs) It's cool to see that you were able to bring something new to the table here. But did you feel pressured to sound like the original Gizmo? Yeah. I mean, that's the weird thing about any time you do, you know, a legacy voice like this where someone has created it essentially and you've inherited it uh yeah i mean i just my job is to sound as much like the gizmo everyone knows and loves as possible and hopefully i succeeded where i'm just i don't want anyone to be thinking about oh is that a different person like i just wanted to be like yeah that's gizmo and that's the extent of their thoughts about it i you know should mostly be invisible um frank drevin i forgot i did that the naked gun mobile game yeah that's the whole that's i i would not be ashamed i would say you're the only person other than leslie nielsen that got to do frank drevin well it's frank drevin jr actually it wasn't his wasn't really frank yeah (laughs) (laughs) well well gabby it's great to see that you're working nonstop, just like aj for the past couple of years and as I mentioned before, that girl Lele, huge show, but you've got an excellent speaking voice. You didn't, you didn't tell me that. I'm giving you the compliment right here. <laughs> and this role fits into the voiceover world. Not all on-screen talent gets to make it into the voiceover world. When did you kind of realize that that was going to be one of your directions? Well, when I first moved to LA, you know, you're kind of just trying to spitball things. You're trying to figure out where you fit in. You know, you want to be an actor, but you know, you don't know if you're going to be a film actor or a TV on-screen actor or, or a voiceover actor. So I remember doing just thousands of voiceover auditions and not booking anything. Um, it was just kind of a huge shot in the dark. You know, you record the audition, you send it in. It's so different than live action because you don't get to see the actual person. You know, you don't mm-hmm. really get to see people the way that you do in the live action world. Um so I was just sending thousands of auditions, not really hearing anything. Um, and then Gremlins was actually the first voiceover project that I booked um, that was like a series. So I guess it was just by chance that I dipped into the voiceover world. Um, by the grace of God, I, I booked a small commercial that was also voiceover that kind of just segued into this uh, whole different genre of acting. But, you know, I love it. It's a whole different form of expression. That makes sense. AJ, in your case, not only do you have the extensive credits that I mentioned, but you've also directed some shorts. What was it that made you kind of realize, hey, I want to be the voiceover guy? I mean, I don't know if that was ever a conscious decision. Uh, It was just kind of something that keeps happening, which I'm more than happy to uh, accept. But no, it was just kind of like I did the Marty McFly game years ago and that kind of or the Marty McFly game, Back to the Future. I was Marty same, in it. Same thing, let's same be honest. Same thing, the Marty McFly game. Yes, this is what everyone calls it. Um, and that kind of was like a fun initiation into that world. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. But I mean, I do so many other things. I was very lucky that voiceover kind of stuck. And, you know, it's a lot of work. Uh, but uh, once mm-hmm. I realized how much fun it was, I definitely put a lot of effort into being able to, um, what's the word I'm looking for, cultivate that. Um, but yeah, cause voiceover, I mean, extends out into so many things. And now with motion capture and stuff, like getting to do stuff like God of War or Fallen Order or any of those things is like, it's just an extension and kind mm-hmm. of in a weird way circles back to on-camera acting. Uh, it's, yeah, it's all one big circle. Nerdy follow-up question for you, AJ. When I interview guitar players, they're always eager to plug their 
amps or their custom guitars or pedals. When you speak to singers, they're eager to plug their version of the microphone or which, you know, I use an SM57 like the Beach Boys. In your case, do you have any endorsements when it comes to microphones or sound gear? No. <laughs> so the agent has to get on that, in other words. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't even know what I'm using. A pre-sonus, I, I, no, I have no idea. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. No, it's funny. I wish I did. I wish I had some. I just I know what I don't like, but I don't I don't know if I can say that. Don't get the big globular ones. If you're starting off in voiceover, invest in something that's not the big circular things that everyone has. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I don't need MX something or other. Sorry. Hey, whatever it is. It's different. There are some people who are very passionate about microphones. And I know those people. They're like, oh, it's a cardioid mic from 1940s. I'm like, I don't I don't care. Um, so. <laughs> There you go. And last question at you, Gabby, before I let you go. Are you allowed to say what's next, what else you're working on, or is it all gremlins all the time for the foreseeable future, and that's all we can know until Hollywood Reporter says so? Well, you know what? Um, new episodes of Dacro Lele come out really soon. Uh, I believe they come out in the fall. We don't have a specific air date yet. Um, but yeah, so Dacro Lele is coming out. Gremlins, of course, every Thursday on Max. And I have a couple of other things that I, I can't, I'll get in trouble if I say, but yeah, <laughs> keep, keep, keep uh, checking up on my Instagram. The Gram. Well, AJ, Gabby, thank you both for your time. Congratulations on this excellent work and really looking forward to what's coming from both of you in the near future, whether you're on camera, off, behind it, whatever it is, just keep it up. Thank you so thank much, you. dude. Outrocast. Meryl, how is your morning going aside from answering the same questions over and over and over again? Uh, you know what? I haven't had to answer too many repeats. So that's good. I like your house. It's a, uh, I like your decorating design themes we've got going here. It's nice. You like the clutter? The tolerating? No, I don't think it looks cluttered at all. You should see my house. Well, uh, I am a fan of what you do because you run a tight ship on your shows and you put out there that you're the night Meryl. Um, <laughs> I like anytime the person puts out there, I'm a terror, you know, they're easy to work with. <laughs> yes. And when you're posting about Kala on their social media, yes. you really um, know that they're salty. Thank leader. you. Yes, so, I hear you. So congratulations on not only having this great season seven, but season eight being announced. Not a lot of shows announce seasons in advance. How long did you have to keep it a secret that season eight was going to be happening? Um, God, Darren, that's a good question. I cannot remember. I've got a mom brain, but um, it was a while. I mean, I think we sat on that information for a while. So, um, you know, but everything you have to kind of sit on. But, um, you know, we didn't know, though, until at least halfway through season seven. So we were well on our way to doing that story, thinking that might be our last. So um, most of season seven was constructed with the thought that we might not get a season eight. Wow. Okay. So the writer's room, without spoilers here, the writer's room had to change the course of action halfway through the season. No, like. we didn't. We couldn't. Like we were well, I think people don't realize that we are, I mean, this outlandership, uh, it takes a long time to get up on its feet. Like we are prepping well ahead of shooting and we have to know the storylines and where we're going to give the art department and everyone else. So we couldn't change. We did shift the last couple episodes in terms of once we found out about season eight, but we couldn't alter the trajectory of that. I mean, that train had left the station. Hmm. Now this is, this is going to wind up a compliment despite how this sentence starts <laughs> okay. out. Ugh. When, 
The show started on Stars. Stars was kind of a niche channel, and now Stars is kind of a leader of industry standards for great dramas, great action, etc. When did you kind of start to see that Stars was a mainstream channel as opposed to a niche channel? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest. I like Stars from the beginning because they were the only place we pitched a series, and Ron and I. I mean, we'd walk in every place and we'd put the seven books. I think there's seven books out there. Seven, six or seven books out on the table and say, this is the show. Like, we got all this material right here. And they were the only place we took it to that said, we want you to stick to the books. Every place else we took it to was like, well, you're going to, of course, you're going to diverge and you're going to do other stuff. And we we're like, why do we need to? Um, so I've always had a real soft spot for stars that they have been so supportive of us. I mean, the promotion they do on this show, the love they give this show, they they love it as much as we do. I mean, I have some the orig my original um, people at Stars and Sony. I mean, are the same people I've been with for ten years. Uh, John Westfall, Karen Bailey. So I just feel like we've always been so treasured there. They mm -hmm. could be the smallest network in the world, and I would still be like they're the best. So um, I just think they've really kind of found their niche, uh, niche, and I think they've kind of discovered what they do best. And you know, their tagline I think is "Take the lead," and I think they have. They took a chance on our show back when most people weren't, and I think it's really paid off. Well, wrapping up here, I'm going to say congratulations on getting a season eight, regardless of the number of episodes. I mean, how many of your favorite shows of all time made it to season six? They they, they would go, well, let's get to that syndication number and then stop. I know. I know. My, some of the better shows, Sports Night. I love that show. That never made it. Uh, so I hear you. I do Arrested Development, I think it's five. You I know. know. So congrats uh, on outpacing Arrested Development and really looking forward to whatever is to come from you in the near future. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it, Darren. Thank you. One from Darren Paltrowitz from, um, Paltrowitz, yes, from online. Uh, a Fathom question, Danny. Fathom is known for creating top-notch special events and screenings. Um, how did you know you wanted this film to be presented through Fathom events as opposed to a traditional national rollout? That's, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Fathom is a very unique phenomenon, not just as a company. Fathom is one of these, to me, the great cultural federation of America. People don't realize, and I've learned, I'm learning this uh, every day, that Fathom has, uh, is, is a content provider of high culture and individual culture to very different faith-based and different communities and micro-communities all throughout our country and in 45 different countries. They are so very involved and in touch with the micro-communities and uh, providing content for them. It's really the only and the last uh, organization in America that has that kind of a vision of bringing people to the movie theater because they look at the movie theater the way the movie theaters were originally built. There were community centers. They're where we saw the newsreels. They're where we uh, discovered live vaudevillian actors. So this is the campfire. They really created the, the town square, the storytelling campfire places, large and small, all wherever the people are. And that dream, I Shlomo and Nina traveled the world wherever the people were. Most of the stories you asked me earlier about discovering stories, I hear stories every day because people know I'm connected to the show. Just the other day at a cigar shop, this salesman was telling me how Shlomo 
visited him in the hospital, gave him a private concert in the hospital. He had a hernia operation, and his father asked Plomo to sign his album. He said, my son is in the hospital with a hernia operation. He couldn't come. He said, let's go. And he went to the hospital and played a concert for him. And that's really the spirit of Nina Simone and Shlomo Kavach. They were there to fix the world, not to play where there's a lot of people. We're in Fairbanks, Alaska, little town, Bethel, Alaska, islands throughout Hawaii, um, little towns in North Dakota and Indian, Indian territories, small little beautiful theaters, large auditoriums. And I, I really uh, would do anything I could. I, I really... Uh, just pursued this relationship with Fathom uh, until we really created this partnership and this message of Harmony Across America event at this time on Juneteenth, uh, as it's so, so needed. Outro.